This episode of Holland and Barrett's podcast series, The Wellness Edit, is brought to you by Tiana Fairtrade Organics, the multi-award winning producer of premium quality coconut oil. With Tiana's range of raw extra virgin organic coconut oils, you can ensure you're getting the most out of your meals. Whether you're cooking up a curry or a crumble, perfect for using in a stir fry, baking or even drizzling over a salad. Pick up Tiana coconut oil and all your other vegan essentials from a Holland and Barrett store or visit hollandandbarrett.com. Hi, I'm Dr. Gemma Newman, also known as the Plant Power Doctor, and I'm your host for the Wellness Edit with Holland and Barrett. This is the first episode of season three, and I am absolutely thrilled and honoured to have been joined by a very, very special guest. Many of you will know Ivana Lynch for her role as Luna Lovegood in the Harry Potter films. However, Ivana is also a passionate vegan with her own podcast, The Chick Peeps. She's also an activist and her first book, The Opposite of Butterfly Hunting, The Tragedy and Glory of Growing Up, came out in September. I talked to her today about all of this and so much more. It was a really heartfelt, honest and insightful conversation with a truly lovely person. And having just read the whole of her book myself before the interview, um, I personally felt really connected with the things that she was talking about and the vulnerability and honesty that she shared and I can thoroughly recommend the book. I hope that this interview will whet your appetite to read it and also just learn more about Ivana and the things that she's up to at the moment and if you enjoyed it as much as I did do let us know and share with any family or friends that you think might benefit from this really insightful chat. Listen in now and I hope you enjoy. Welcome, Ivana. Thank you. Thanks for that lovely intro. It's so good to be on, Gemma. It's good to have you. And this isn't actually the first time that we've chatted on a podcast because no. <laughs> <laughs> I was absolutely honoured and thrilled for you to invite me onto your podcast. Mm, on Chick Peeps. Yeah, I know. I loved having you on. It's, and I always have to stop myself now because I'm just fascinated by like people you know, who pursue uh, plant-based living and, and take it into their work. And so... It's it's kind of strange the last few months to have it flipped again and be like, oh, right, we're talking about me again. <laughs> yes, but, yeah. yeah, we're talking about you and we, we can't escape it today. And honestly, I have to say, I mentioned before we started recording, but I've just finished reading your biography, your memoir, The Opposite of Butterfly Hunting. And I have to say it was such a powerful, incredible heart-wrenching journey oh. to go on and I loved every page oh thank you that means so much I always I was very nervous to send to you in particular because you know if you're because you're a doctor and like I'm quite critical of the medical field um but I I, I think in retrospect I was like I shouldn't have been because I know how you, how you work so holistically but yeah I hope it's insightful to lots of doctors and obviously it doesn't have all the answers to these problems but I'm glad you liked it anyway I'm glad you connected with it I did I, I more than liked it I loved it and honestly went on a real emotional journey reading it because um you know just feeling for your 11 12 13 year old self so I suppose just to give our listeners a little bit of context it's a memoir would you like to just share with people what you wanted to share in the book so that I can uh, give a context to my to my, <laughs> yeah, to my for sure. yeah I'll try and summarize so it's it, well, it's my mental health journey and it is 
what the subtitle says, the tragedy and glory of growing up, because I found growing up really hard. I, in some ways, I really, I was very happy as a child. I felt, you know, small and safe and there was nobody bothering me. And um, I found growing up <laughs> tragic, you know, leaving behind the safety of being a little girl and having to turn into a woman and define yourself that way. And, you know, I, I think I found a way to sort of fight growing up or to try and stop times, try and try and stop the, what was happening to me and to my body. Um, and I found that in an eating disorder, developed an eating disorder at, at a young age. And yeah, it's, it's, it's all about, it's a commentary on the mental health system that I went through, how we treat mental illness. But I also, I really wanted to write this book because I've read so many eating disorder books that just focus on the physical side of, of recovery. And I think we've all been conditioned by the media to only recognize eating disorders by the physical symptoms. And I just think that actually sets people back on recovery. It stops them from seeking help. It stops them from really doing the work to process healing and recovery after physical recovery. They kind of think, oh, well, I'm a normal weight now, so I guess I'm done and I shouldn't be getting help anymore. So all of that, I just was like, I wanted to show how, you know, my mental state before my eating disorder took root to show that it was there before people start to see it and to show the many years after continuing to heal where, you know, people weren't worried and I wasn't really getting treatment, but I was still still trying to deal with the root issue of um, my problem, which to me, you know, it's more, it was more existential. It was about finding purpose in the world. It was like, who am I? Why am I here? Oh, that's a very hard question to answer. So I'm just going to find my purpose in this quite destructive, quite consuming condition. Uh, so yeah, that's could go on, but that's kind of why I wrote the book in a nutshell. Yeah, no, it's it's a very good nutshell, and there's so much more that you say in the book that provides so many insights, fascinating moments, penny drop moments for people. And uh, I actually gave a copy of your book to a pediatrician friend of mine who. I know I'd, I'd explain some of the things that you covered in the book and how interesting it was. And she agreed that it's a very difficult thing to help with. Mm -hmm. And the, the focus on the physical, although at certain stages is critical, mm -hmm. it's really only scratching the surface of, mm. of why. And it can be very different for, for different people. And uh, yeah, I, I found it truly heart-wrenching to read and uh, you know was was crying along with you in a lot of the mm -hmm. places um but also feeling a lot of hope and a lot of real joy at some of the parts of the book where you describe some of your insights and the journey that you went on and what, what made you decide to write it I think I because I've been asked about it for so many years so when I was about 16, obviously I was, I'd started on the Harry Potter films by then. I was dealing with fame and all that. And I started to notice that, you know, people were like idolizing me or deifying me in a weird way that people do with celebrities and just kind of the, projected this idea that, oh, you've got a perfect life. And I think I start to get frustrated with that and feel like you have no idea how I struggle and, and how I'm human and vulnerable. Um, and I just wanted to have deeper conversations with people about who I was and my view on the world. So I started talking about that's when I because up till then, 
the, you know, the teams around me had done a good job of kind of hushing that up. They'd known about my eating disorder, but they'd kind of been like, we're going to protect you and keep you quiet. And I kind of knew for healing, I need to start talking about this to release this story and these emotions. And so I started talking about it when I was 16. And immediately I kind of realized how, I don't know the word, (laughs) but it's difficult talking about these things in the media because immediately they trivialized it. They turned it into a fairy tale. They turned it into, oh, you had this horrible problem and then you got a part in Harry Potter and then your problems melted away. And um, it really, really annoyed me because it was like, that's not how it feels. That's not how it was. It was like, it was like I was angry for all the um the very difficult journey of recovery uh of going through treatment programs how that had been sort of trivialized i was angry on behalf of my past self but also on behalf of any young person going through it who would feel like oh well you know it was easy for her or feeling like i can't recover because i don't have anything going on in my life and i really wanted to make it clear that like you have to kind of make that decision to recover find the will inside you before anything else in your life happens. Um, so I, th- and I think over the years, I keep, I've always been asked, been asked by people going through eating disorder, I've been asked by their families, their friends, what advice do you have? And it was just like, it's literally impossible to reduce my advice and my views on this to an interview or an Instagram post. And I'm, I'm never going to be able to fully set the record straight and give the full complex nuanced view on a mental health journey on eating disorder recovery I I can't do that in in a sentence in a few sentences so I had to do it in a book um so yeah that's why it was just like to 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 sort of uh, be a source of comfort to anyone else going through it and and to in a way it was like to set things right with my younger self who felt like she didn't have the words to express what was going on inside her and who then felt, oh, actually, there were some parts of treatment that were quite traumatizing, but I'd never framed them as that because it was treatment, you know? So it was kind of to be a voice for all those people and for my young self, yeah. Yeah, and what an articulate and powerful voice it is, um, reading about the journey and all that you went through with it, like not just the torture of it, but also the continuing progress with it and I think that you know you're right it's very it's very easy for us as as humans we love stories we all love stories and you mentioned how much you love Mm -hmm. taking part in stories Mm -hmm. in your book and to have it this neat thing where you know oh well she was ill and and then Mm -hmm. this magical thing happened and then she was fine and isn't that an amazing story but actually I love how in the book you share about your understanding and realisation of the people around you who'd also been through similar journeys and how they had actually found within them something that was so much more powerful and meaningful than what they had experienced through their own previous journey with their eating disorder. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think... You know, that's what I realized in writing the book. And that's what I've been trying to tell people that you'll never find this sense of peace or or self-acceptance from any external thing because you're still at the center of that and you still have to deal with yourself. You still have to look at yourself in the mirror. And that's what I'd find. Like I'd be on the Harry Potter set. I'd go look in the mirror when I was getting my makeup done. And it's like, oh, damn, 
I'm still here. She's still here. And oh, I would just want to live this beautiful dream without her. Can she just get out of the way? It's like, no, you're, you're always going to be there. So that's, it's like uh, nothing, whatever you get, you know, the dream job, the dream relationship, anything that just won't, that won't give you the peace you're seeking until you deal with what's going on inside. But I did, you know, with all those people mentioned throughout the book, I noticed that they were people who, they found things to to live for. They found things to love themselves for. They found things that were, that felt bigger and more important than, you know, their own little inner world. And say for my mom, it was having children. And it was like, that was the thing that got her out of her head. And that made her say, I want to live and I'm going to love life. And so I'm going to find a way to accept myself. Um, So, yeah, I kind of, I realize that what I'm saying is kind of contradictory there, that you're finding things to live for, but you also have to find it within. But I think it's sort of a, it's both. It's like things along the way, you know, like people saying, oh, you getting that role saved your life. Not true, but there were things like that throughout my life, going through those experiences, getting those jobs or creativity, I suppose, for me in general, it made me want to live and that made me want to find ways to love and accept myself. Absolutely. Well, those things, they're not mutually exclusive. They come in Mm. tandem, don't they? It's the idea, it's the idea of, of starting to feel more kind towards yourself, your soul, as it were, and then also looking outwards to see, well, what can I give to the world that has meaning and purpose? And those two things, they come together and Mm. they're they're both really important. Mm. I loved how you described that in your experience uh, and with things that you went through, on the one hand, it was safer to keep yourself within the confines of of what you'd experienced with the eating disorder Uh, it felt safer even though it was very restricting it felt safe to you and the opposite of that the positivity that came with creativity and self-acceptance felt very unsafe because there Mm -hmm. were no boundaries to it there were no limits to it it felt like this limitless world of opportunity experience rejection whatever Mm -hmm. else comes with that it was a real sort of polarity that you began to almost wake up to in a moment in the book Mm. there was a moment where you thought I can either be stuck in my negative thoughts or I can start to feel more positive thoughts but what would happen what what would happen in that and it it was this really interesting revelation that you went through which I thought was really fascinating oh it's so true I mean that's but I love that you've picked that up like that's basically the essence of the book really that choice between creation just well self-creation self-destruction negativity positivity um yeah I I still make that choice I still am tempted I still think negativity feels safer because it feels like it shuts things down it keeps you in a little dark place where nobody can get to you and that feels I thought a lot about this while writing the book I've thought a lot about it since that self-loathing is a protective mechanism it's a it's a coping mechanism because it's like you are then you're never going to be hurt from the outside as much as you're hurt from the inside and you can prepare yourself for that but you know my therapist and who's all over the book um Natasha she had a really beautiful way of explaining that this image she and I think it, it is in the book where she said that these things that we find these coping mechanisms that kind of dull our spirit like anorexia like an eating disorder like you know whatever it is that is toxic in your life that you're holding on to she says they can feel like the rock amidst 
a huge storm, you know, you climb onto that rock and you get relief. You get, you get a bit of shelter and you feel okay. But she said, if we stay on that rock, it becomes the rock on which we perish. And I just think that's such a powerful image for why we need to, why we need to recover, why we need to let go of these things. Because yeah, you'll, you'll kind of, in some places, you'll literally starve and die on that rock. And you have to have the guts to go back into that storm to weather life and to let go of what felt like a very safe place because it will actually, you know, destroy you. Yeah, that's so powerful. Even hearing you say it, it's giving me goosebumps. <laughs> it's, so, it's, it's so true, though. And I think, you know, many of us will hold on to things that feel safe and comforting that may not be the best thing for us. And it doesn't have to be food. Mm -hmm. it could be anything internet shopping or exactly yeah alcohol or uh, I don't know anything that that, that may sort of have that relationship yeah a relationship yes and it's hard it's a life is hard sometimes sometimes you just want to turn the volume down on life and I think that's where we can find these destructive things that are numbing and I'm trying to say and I'm trying to live this way is that you know, make the braver choice, make the bold choice. Like there are things like, yeah, like creativity, like making art, like writing, all that, that feels so much more fulfilling and lovely. And it gives me a reason to exist. It makes me want to wake up every day, but it never feels safe. You know, (laughs) I'm sure there are bad reviews on the book out there. I'm sure there are people who hated it. And it's like, oh, that makes me want to crawl back on the rock again, you know, and not, not embrace this creative life. But I just think one way is numbing, deadening, it isolates you from people. And one way your life kind of becomes more rich and beautiful and interesting. Absolutely. And I love how you talk about that as well in the book, where, you know, you share that some of the people that you met on your journey and certain, especially in one of the, the, the recovery center that you talk about most, where there was this real kind of fire in their belly and a real mm-hmm. kind of passion and depths to their souls, but that they hadn't found a way to channel that that was actually a way that could help them to feel good and help others to feel good. It was kind of just like... They were lost within, Mm. people could only see that about them, their eating disorder, but not who they really were in terms of, you know, how they wanted to be in the world and where they could perhaps channel that differently. And I love how, you know, you mentioned that there were these really amazing artistic things that you were doing and that your mum really sort of championed to say that this is Ivana. She's not just that thing that everybody's obsessing about. She's obsessing about, you're obsessing about, you know, the the numbers Mm -hmm. and, and all of the things that come with that physical recovery. There is so much more to her than that. And what was beautiful is that you were beginning to sort of see that more throughout your own journey, all the other things that were mm-hmm. within you. I and mean, obviously that is also within us. Like that's almost like our dark side, you know, things that mm-hmm. we do to sort of talk negatively or punish ourselves. But actually there is so much more beauty and intrigue and creativity and growth and, and giving that we have within us. And I suppose, and that was something really special that I took from the book. Do you think of like the the force behind some of those things to keep those things going, the discipline, you know, even people who struggle with other things, like they talk about high functioning drug addicts and alcoholics. It's like, that is quite a powerful person. And I saw that with these people with most of them had anorexia was that they have all this willpower, this strength, this drive, this ambition, 
you know, they think they're trying to save themselves. They're, they're not trying to die. They're trying to find a reason to live. And that unfortunately is giving them a reason to live. But if they were, are given the tools, you know, empowered in other ways to say, you could do this. You, you have all this inside you and nurtured that way. It's incredible what they could do instead. I think it's incredible what that fire can do channeled into other means, into creativity. And I just, you know, my, my story is like a tribute to how lucky I was that I had parents and people around me who knew we needed to make that switch, that they needed to nurture my creative spirit rather than continuously obsess on the eating disorder. Because that, you know, ironically only made it grow. So they knew that. But, you know, other people that struggled, their parents kind of did buy into this idea that we need to obsessively watch for the eating disorder. And anytime we see it, we have to stomp it out of you. That doesn't work in the long term because eventually they'll be an adult and have to they'll make their own decisions and if you're the one who's kind of trying to chase out or or squash out this thing that feel like feels like their closest friend this thing that feels like it's protecting them in the world they'll just become more deceptive and they'll set themselves as your enemy so you know for me finding someone like Natasha my therapist who said okay, you know, we're not going to take, we're not going to take this thing away from you right, right away, but let's talk about your dreams and what you can do to start building those things up. And, you know, the more I really invested in my dreams, the more I didn't need the eating disorder, the more it was okay to let it go or to, to see it sort of slipping away and go, oh yeah, that's not who I am anymore. Mm. Yeah. That's really powerful. Really, very powerful indeed. And, and what I also liked is that, you know, you've said that, You've, you read um, other books about eating disorders and you didn't want this to be like that. You know, in a way, you wanted this to be... Uh, I mean, I, I wouldn't... This is not This is not like a guide or a how-to or mm. anything like that. It's very much a personal story. But what it allows is for somebody who is struggling and for somebody who loves somebody who is struggling, it allows them to understand at least some of that perspective on how how it can come about and how it could potentially be overcome without without obsessing about the physicality of it which i found really really very interesting and refreshing mm-hmm. yeah yeah and i will say with the you know i, I am quite critical of some of those books eating disorder books i mean because i as i say i think a lot of those people have been sort of convinced by the media that it's all about how your weight and how you look and all that stuff so and I you know I don't mean to be I think those books have their place and I think actually probably the people who wrote them maybe found some healing from writing them and and, but but I think we already know the shocking statistics we know we've heard that story so many times oh how low you get in weight the BMI all that but yeah I just don't think we need to talk about the numbers I don't think that's helpful I think we know all that already and I think what we really need is to talk about the depth, the stuff behind it. And yeah, there's a big need for that in these books, but also in the media to keep correcting them. You know, I've had so many interviews where people will say to me, so how bad did you get? How low is your weight? And it's like, I have to keep correcting them. It's like, okay, you know, you're a good person. You want to put out, I'm sorry, I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about interviewers. I'd sit there and be like, oh, you want to put out a good interview that sends out a positive message. So let's not do the fluff. Let's not do this saccharine silly stuff of like you can do it you can get better it's like let's actually be responsible and not talk about these 
sensationalist, shocking, sordid details that obscure the truth of what's going on. So yeah, that's been the mission of the book and, and my mission when doing media for the book, which has been not easy all the time. No, I, I think, yeah, I guess it's probably actually quite hard to talk about in a lot of ways because certainly the book itself is in some places really hard to read in a good mm. way. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, it's uh, it's one of those things where you think, well, you have to talk about the book because yeah, you yeah. want people to read it. But <laughs> at the same time, there are certain parts which can be difficult, I could imagine that. Mm-hmm. This episode of Holland and Barrett's podcast series, The Wellness Edit, is brought to you by Tiana Fairtrade Organics, the multi-award winning producer of premium quality coconut oil. Pick up Tiana coconut oil and all your other vegan essentials from a Holland and Barrett store or visit hollandandbarrett.com. One of the things that also intrigued me um, around talking about eating disorders, but also talking about diet is people's choice to be vegetarian or people's choice to be vegan. Mm-hmm. And you, know, you mentioned in the book that those choices were not recognized as part of your some parts of your treatment. And I've also heard that from other specialists who have still been uh, in that arena. And, you know, I've read a lot of studies on this personally, and I find it a really sort of jarring and also f- sort of fascinating thing where sometimes eating disorders are connected with these dietary choices. And other times, people who have talked about making a choice to be vegetarian or vegan have found that it very freeing um, Mm. because it it gives them a real purpose around food and lifestyle that is actually giving to others other sentient creatures rather than focusing on the the self as it were how do you feel about vegetarian and veganism in the context of eating disorders and do do you think anything needs to change Mm. oh I think Jab I think you should write a book on this (laughs) it's like such an interesting topic it's uh, yeah, and hard to answer because obviously everyone's journey is different, and and you have to be. I don't think there's enough discussion about this in vegan circles, to be honest. And I think it might be to do with the fact that a lot of you know the leaders in the community, the central activists, are men who have not gone through this. And that's not to say it's a feminine condition, but in general, there are more women who suffer with uh, eating disorders than men, and. I see them sometimes say, just go vegan. If you don't go vegan, you're a selfish person. You don't care about the animals. And, you know, that for me is like, oh, you have no idea. Like, but but it's, they just don't, some people don't have those struggles with food. They don't have that emotional charge around food, that relationship. So it can be, you know, overnight flip the switch. They can, they can quit things and not feel triggered. That's not been my journey with veganism at first, I think, so when I, and I do, I agree with what you're saying. So when I first went, I went vegetarian actually around the same time as my eating disorder was starting. And that, you know, it was some part to do with wanting to control what I, what I ate. But I think it was also just because I was reading obsessively about food and nutrition as an 11 year old, weird. Um, but I was reading so much about it and then reading about the animals. It, it just made sense. So I actually think that was a separate thing to the actual eating disorder. But then, so years later, maybe in my, when I was about 20, 21, I started exploring veganism and I was very cautious of it. I was vegetarian all that time, but I was very cautious of veganism because I felt like this seems too restrictive. This seems like 
I have to give up all these things. And that reminds me of my eating disorder that goes back to, and, and, you know, I've come through all that. I've reclaimed all these foods and, and that was recovery, eating these things and not beating myself up for it. So then to kind of go back and say, you can't have that anymore. It wasn't good for me, but I found that that is like the meat eater's perspective. The meat eater's definition of veganism is, so what can't you eat? And I think, yeah, that's not the way to go vegan. And I first did it that way. I first did it out of guilt and shame and feeling like, oh, I'm a bad person if I eat these things. And yeah, that is too much like the eating disorder mindset, labeling foods good and bad. So I gave up on veganism many times and just thought, I can't do this. And nobody understands, but, you know, I, I just can't, I can't enjoy my life and do this. And then I met this guy, a longtime vegan, who he asked me, how is it going? You know, how's your veganism journey going? And I just said, uh, no, I can't. It's too upsetting. And he said, no, don't give anything up. He said, you have to do the crowding out method. He said, before you cut anything out of your diet, introduce new vegan alternatives. So keep drinking your dairy milk, but also add in oat milk, rice milk, all that, and find the ones you like. And he said, your taste buds will adjust and eventually you won't need those things, the animal products, and they'll kind of fall out of your diet one by one. And that's what happened. And it's like, and then this kind of deeper healing happened of like, I felt, you know, it's, veganism is a connection to nature, to the, to the world. It's, it's, it's wanting to take care of the planet and your body. And, you know, for the first time in my life, since I was, I suppose, a child, but maybe the first time in my life, because I didn't think about it as a child, I really was like nourishing my body with what I ate and, and excited about this. And, and I think as somebody who can be obsessive and perfectionist, that was helpful to be like, I'm choosing foods that make me feel better and, and that are, are an extension of who I am in the world. So that's a long-winded answer, but that, that's just saying that I think when done in the right way, veganism can be really healing and really liberating to people, but it has to be done carefully, consciously. It has to be done in a way that, it, you know, it doesn't feel restrictive. Eating still feels joyful and abundant, and you don't go to the dinner table with your guilt. That needs to go. If it's done in that way, yes, it can be very healing, I think. I really liked that. And it needed to be a long answer because you can't always fit these nuanced discussions in a quick soundbite. And Mm -hmm. I find it really interesting hearing about how your mindset shift around making it crowding out, making it an abundance, Mm -hmm. making it feeling of joy and nourishment and, and connection. I think that sounds really special. And it's certainly how I view the way I eat, which is just a really sort of, it feels very empowering that way. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, some of the studies I've read have been quite, very mixed and I'm not an expert in dealing with eating disorders. So I, I, I don't speak as somebody who works in this field, but having read some of the data and some of the information from people who do, I found it really interesting that oftentimes the question that we have to ask ourselves is why, why is it that we're making a change? And you know, if we're making a change because we want to have more control over our food choices or because mm. we desperately would like to lose weight or you know, something along those lines, then it becomes more of, I guess, a red flag in a sense to say, actually, you know, I need to look at my motivations here. I need to understand more about why this is happening for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think when you're coming from a place of abundance and uh, and connection, then that's a very different feeling, isn't it? Totally. Yeah, yeah. No, I think you're so right there. If it's coming from a place of, if you're doing, making these changes from a place of lack or wanting to improve yourself, that's when it can 
that's when it's dangerous. I think it can become an addiction. It can become this thing that you're, yeah, you're trying to fix your lack of whatever it is, self-worth. But for me, taking the focus of the nutritional aspects of food or, or what it will do to me and my body, which was always how I viewed food, you know, ever since I'd had the eating disorder, that never really went away. Food always, it still continued to feel a bit like an enemy, you know, one I had to be careful around. And switching the focus from what I'm eating to, I don't know, like a heart-centered issue, animal rights, that I want to protect animals and I want to eat in a way that doesn't harm anyone. And obviously that is a complicated issue, you know, there's there's human rights issues in the foods that we eat, things like that. It's very hard to be completely cruelty-free in what you eat. But just, you know, having that mission of saying, yeah, I want what I eat to not have shed blood, to not have caused suffering. And when I started eating that way, as I say, it took my focus off the aesthetics and it made it be about what I loved about the world and who I wanted to be. And that really fixed my relationship with food. And I hadn't even noticed, you know, I'd never said, right, I'm going to stop having this destructive relationship with food, this toxic relationship, I'm going to find about. I didn't, I didn't have to do that because I just found something else that, yeah, took my focus off. And then it was like, oh, wow, I didn't really even notice. I feel good around food. I enjoy it. And I don't feel, I don't feel shame around enjoying it anymore. So yeah, I think, I think it's, it's that it's, it's, what are you doing the change for? Is it something bigger than trying to fix your lack of self-worth, which, which just can't be fixed by those things, you know? Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And I guess that sort of moves us nicely onto the segue of the fact that it is January and Mm -hmm. it is Veganuary. Mm -hmm. Um, do you have any sort of tips or advice for people? Obviously, you have your podcast, The Chick Peeps, which is mm-hmm. just absolutely wonderful. And I'm sure <laughs> our listeners can go and check that out straight away after listening here. They can go and check out The Chick Peeps and all the previous episodes that, that you've uh, put out there. But is there any particular advice to, that you might have for people thinking of trying Veganuary this year? Yeah, gosh, where to start? Yes, we do have a podcast, Chick Peeps, but it's on break right now. I'm not sure when we're coming back. Podcast is a lot of work, as you know, um, but we will we'll come back eventually. I would say, well, I mean, that one, the crowding out method is, is to me, that's if you're someone who has a history, a weird history with food, I would really recommend that one. So um, I think it's uh, my friend, Eric Marcus. He was the one who told me about it. He runs vegan.com. And I believe he has some information about crowding out on his website, but it's literally just start learn it's like you're learning to cook in a new way you're learning a new style of it's almost like a, a different cuisine you know it's like when you go to a different country you have to learn a new language it's overwhelming at first but you know day by day you'll you'll it'll sink in so I would say yeah add in new foods experiment you won't like them all I still can't stand coconut milk you don't have to you know that kind of thing you'll learn what things you like and don't like so I would do that gently I would also say just like read, educate yourself, kind of root your reason for, for going vegan. If it's about health, you know, check out your book, Gemma's book. There's lots of brilliant books on, on nutrition and, and well, but I would start with yours. Oh, thanks. <laughs> no, do, do. It's, it's brilliant. I love it. And I still return to it and I pass it on to people. So just root your why. Why are you doing this? For me, it was animal rights. And I had to kind of Keep reading those books to to remember I'm doing this because I want to, not because I have to, you know. And, and people do say that when, when you're vegan, they say, 
you can't eat this, can't, can't you not? And it's like, no, no, it's not can't, it's won't. It's that I don't want to, I'm not. And the more I kind of rooted my, my why, my reason for doing it, the more it became a willing choice. So I would do that. And I don't know, some practical things like maybe just commit to learning two new recipes a week or trying two new recipes a week. And yeah, I'm at the stage where I don't experiment much with cooking anymore. I have like 10 meals that I like and that's enough for me. I mean, I know some people, they need that experimentation cooking, but for me, I just needed to get a rotation of, of a few meals that were simple and that I like and just know that it will get easier. As it, again, it's like learning a language. At first, you just feel like you'll never stop thinking about this and it's taking over your entire brain. But over time, it just sinks in. And I, I mean, I do think about it because I'm also a vegan activist, but I don't have to think about the food aspect of it very often. Yeah. 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 And you mentioned being a vegan activist. What does that mean? And how does that manifest in your life? Oh, yes. Yeah. I think... For me, vegan activism is trying to make veganism accessible and easier for people. I mean, the, behind it for me is animal rights always. But I come at veganism and, and activism from a very optimistic outlook, you know, an optimistic outlook on human nature in that I believe people are good and they care about animals and they don't want to cause unnecessary suffering. So I'll never be like, you're a bad person for not doing this. And I think I was at first. I think every vegan has that journey of kind of feeling like, my parents are good people. Why are they doing this ghastly thing? Why are they participating in the slaughter of innocent beings? But, you know, the more you get into it, the more you realize, oh, we've, we're all trapped in this system and we've people have been conditioned to see animals that way and to think that's normal. So... So that's what, you know, that, as I say, my activism comes from that place of knowing if people are armed with the tools and the knowledge and the resources, they will be vegan. So I want to like help them, whatever it is, is their block, whether it is a history with eating disorders or whether it is they just really like cheese or whatever it is, I want to kind of, yeah, arm them with the knowledge to do that, to overcome that and to, to live a vegan life that feels nourishing and healthful and yeah again joyful yeah that sounds lovely and uh, I think you know, having listened to some of the chick peeps episodes I really feel that that it's a it's a lovely inclusive and interesting conversation with all sorts of very interesting people mm -hmm. and you know for people who want to go down that journey and learn more about it it's it's a really empowering and fantastic way of doing so and uh, yeah so thank Thanks. you for for creating that oh, um, thank you and I'd love to talk a bit more as well about your newfound love of circus. <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> of course. It, I've seen some, some amazing videos of you on Instagram doing incredible feats of, uh, well, I mean, to me, it's jaw dropping. I don't know how you do it, <laughs> but um, tell me, how did you get into that and um, what made you want to want to do it? Oh yeah, that is my absolute passion at the moment. I love it. I actually always wanted to do circus. I always loved it. I think when I was like 17, 18, I was, a, I actually, I really wanted to be a dancer. I, I just, I find movement very healing. So I wanted to do that. And I remember trying to apply for circus school and my mom was like, no, absolutely not. I've let you do lots of crazy things. You're not going to circus school. <laughs> and I was like, all right, fair enough. I probably wouldn't get in anyway, but I always loved it. It just like, because it's movement, it's dance, but it's also storytelling. And, um, I, I only got into it two years ago 
because I just didn't realize that adults could do this. I didn't, I thought it's that thing of like, oh, unless you're like a limber 15 year old, it's game over. You're not going to, don't waste your time. But it was, so I'm going to talk about it in the book. It was, it was after I did uh, Dancing with the Stars in America. And again, you know, I hadn't danced in about 10 years when I did that. And I was just so amazed at how the body can adapt how the body, like when you train it, when you push it to do these things, it can, it can accomplish quite miraculous things. And that just gave me this sense of, well, what else can it do? After I finished that show, I was like, what can it do that I'm missing? And okay. At at that age, I was 28. It was like, oh, I'm 28, but I think I still have a lot of potential. And so I, I found a class in London, a hoop class, and it was, the first class is awful. It's so painful. Like you can't do anything. You're just like, this is just for superhuman people. I'm never going to be able to do this. And like the little, the smallest things like hanging from your knees is just so painful. But I think because I'd done, I'd seen my body evolve through dancing with the stars and overcome pain and all that. I was like, no, no, if I keep at this, if I just keep going with the positive thoughts and telling myself I can do this I'm sure I'll get through so yeah I've been going for two years and and I again I'm just like amazed every class little improvements happen one day you'll be able to pull yourself up on the pull-up bar things like that and you're like oh my god I am amazing you know and uh (laughs) yeah that for me is just such a gift I've never had that in anything else where I feel it helps me feel at one with my body because it you know and that's again something I say in the book that Having been my body's hater for so many years, it's very hard to reconcile myself as as her lover. Uh, that is quite a leap. But I've found that I can make friends with my body through movement. And that's where it's like, I have to work with it. I can't criticize it. I have to care for it, get give it enough sleep, enough food, just compassion. And when I do that, it can accomplish amazing things. And yeah, so that's what circus has really helped me find that friendship with my body. I love that. You're friends with your body. Mm. I think that's really important, especially for everyone. You know, we'll look in the mirror and we'll look at magazines or we'll look at images that have been airbrushed on social media and we'll make unfavorable comparisons. Mm. I guess that's human nature. And you know, then we start to think, oh, why can't my body do this? Or why can't my body look like that? Or if only my body could be this way or that way and actually dance or circus or for you obviously but for for other people maybe even just a simple rebellious act of looking at yourself and feeling good I think actually Mm. my body's a pretty good thing I know and just like right yeah I I think that's such a shame that people put this pressure to be the same size and look as athletes you know that's their job that's what they do full-time or like trainers And, and it's amazing that they are in that condition and that shape good for them but I think we have to like love and respect our bodies for what they've come through. Like maybe, you know, you have got a bit of extra weight because you've been dealing with depression or something and your body came through that as well. You know, it, or like, I mean, silly things. Like I do that when I'm doing circus, I'm like, ah, my backbend is awful. I can't, I don't have that backbend I had when I was 13 and and I want to just kind of hate myself for not having this ability. But but then it's like, oh, at 13, I was obsessively just, just doing, working on my body in a destructive way. And since then, I've made movies. I've written a book. I've 
accomplished a lot. And it's like, so that's what my body was doing. Okay, it wasn't doing backbending and the splits and all these things that I wish it could do, but it was helping me through other things. And I just wish people, women especially, would give themselves the grace to be like, my body doesn't look like an athlete or a dancer or whatever, but it's come through other things. And that's why it looks the way it does. And I've got to love it for that, which is hard, of course. I had that when I was writing the book. I put on quite a bit of weight when I was writing because I was just literally every day sitting down and I was eating chocolate and all that kind of stuff. But it's like afterwards, I remember being like, oh no, who am I? What have I done? But it was, I had to remind myself, oh, I've written a book. My body wrote a book. It helped me write a book. And so that's, that's fine. And that's where it is at this point in time. So, you know, you have to appreciate that too. Yeah, I think you're right. I think society's obsession, if you like, maybe even more extreme, I guess, in the 2000s, that obsession with thinness. Mm. But I guess now it's more about uh, bum implants and mm-hmm. big boobs. And I don't know. <laughs> there'll, be another, there'll be another ideal body shape coming along in the next decade, I'm sure. But ultimately, mm. that self-love does have to start somewhere and I love the fact that you found a lot of comfort and realization that your body was pretty amazing through dance Mm. because a lot of people uh, I remember dancing in school and it being this very freeing thing and I've never learned a single dance move I've never done any dance training whatsoever but when I get out on a dance floor and my favorite song comes on it's just that most incredible feeling of freedom Mm -hmm. and uh, you know your body gives that to you and that's a lovely thing (laughs) Yes. Oh, that's so lovely that you have that feeling. You have to do it more. I should. I should. But I spend a lot of time sitting on my bum, uh, (laughs) seeing patients and writing. Yes, yes, of course. Well done, body. Well done, body. Exactly, exactly. But I I think the ideal body is the body that lets you uh, do your work in the world, achieve your dreams and and realise your purpose. And if that is sitting on your bum or and writing a book or helping people then that is the ideal body that like I think we have to reframe it that way and yeah, yeah for for like I, I saw that the other day on on my Instagram a cyclist I follow who I really like she was talking about how she wanted to have more defined abs and I was like it could be triggering but it was like but that's her mission that's her vocation cycling and and so her body does have to meet you know rise to meet those dreams so yeah I wish we uh, it's something I'm trying to do I wish we could reframe ideal body as just the body that helps you do what you want to do in the world that's all it needs to be really yeah that's very true and I guess in a lot of ways now we're talking about it your body your mind your soul your face helped you to embody one of your favorite characters that helped you in your childhood, the, the uh, you know, the Harry Potter world and being Luna Lovegood in those films. And that was, that was a, a really special gift and a special journey for you. And I loved reading about that as well in the book, L- reading about how you would just go into that world and you'd read and you'd read and you'd read all the books from cover to cover and you became quite the expert and you know, how your, your body and the embodiment that you had in that role helped you as well in in a lot Mm -hmm. of ways Mm -hmm. which I I find really lovely to read Mm -hmm. yeah I know it's funny I sometimes I think because I do have a lot of similarities with this character I do really her creative spirit her open-mindedness all that I connect to but at the time when I got that role it, it was almost like she was my antithesis because I, her core, her essence is that she has this beautiful self-acceptance and that extends to the world around her, you know, because she accepts herself. She's then not trying to 
alter everything else to fit her expectations or yeah all that and I was the opposite I I, I wanted to be anyone but, but myself I, I I wanted to escape myself but I think through playing her and through playing someone like her who I admired so much for her ease in herself and for the presence that she brings the presence of non-judgment all that um it rubbed off on me definitely it was like okay if she is enough then I can be enough if she just needs to sit here and be to be enough then then I'm enough too if I'm just and that was a a real gift in that you know those environments like the film set environments which is high stress and uh, you can get very anxious um yeah to go into those rooms where I felt so small and insignificant and to just to be able to breathe and say that's all I need to do and then I'm enough that that was yeah transformative and yeah I think I, I learned a lot from her I think I still I still tap into that energy when I need to I think that's a very special energy to know and to have mm-hmm. I am enough mm-hmm. I will always be enough I think that's the thing it's uh it's it's sometimes hard to remember that when we're striving for certain things mm-hmm. and we want to achieve certain things but yeah, it's a it's a really lovely uh, and empowering way of feeling, of being, and it's mm-hmm. nice. It's I guess yeah, it's a lovely privilege to have been able to embody that. Yeah, in the role. Absolutely, yeah. That sort of stuff is like tapping into energies. It is very transformative, and I think anyone can do it in their lives. You know, find like well, that's shamanism. That's a different thing, really. But it, it there's a a person or a quality that you're trying to bring more of into your life that you're trying to be you can just like sit in meditation breathe into that and and sort of send that intention forward I'm going to I'm going to be more like Luna today or whoever it is or whatever side of yourself you're trying to work on I think yeah that stuff does change you I think yeah and well gosh we've been talking for ages and I know I could talk mm-hmm. for probably at least another hour about all of this but we're gonna have to wrap things up a little bit and draw things to a close and being that this is the wellness edit I usually finish on asking my guests simple things that other people who might be listening today might want to bring into their lives or things that you've brought into your life as not necessarily a wellness non-negotiable, but something that makes you feel good and something that you'd like to share with our listeners. Oh, what makes me feel good? That's lovely. Beautiful dresses. <laughs> like, I really love colour. I love just like, you know, fabulous dresses and do my makeup, that kind of thing. It just gives me a lot of joy and it's like, it, it wakes me up again. I think I find beauty very inspiring. It annoys me. And upsets me really that it's been sort of denigrated as very frivolous. I think that's all about the, the patriarchal dismissal of the, the sacred feminine, that anything feminine is seen as silly and frivolous. Whereas to me, beauty is very uplifting and yeah, it just kind of uplifts your spirit in a way that you can't really explain. So um, yeah, whenever I'm feeling low on myself or like I need a boost, it's important to go through the ritual of like putting on my makeup and that to me is like quite an act of self-love to be like I'm I'm because I'm literally touching my features my face everything and it's you're putting love through your fingertips into your body and it's like affirming and there's even you can go far with it Louise Hay uh, you know the famous author and founder of Hay House she she said that you can 
these rituals where you like, as you're putting on your makeup, you can say things like, I love my skin. I love my eyes. I'm beautiful. All this stuff. And that, that's, yeah, it's like you're, it's a ritual, really. A self-love ritual. Now, I don't do that very often. That's quite a lot. <laughs> it's, quite, it's still quite challenging to do all that when you're looking. And when you're doing your makeup in the mornings, you can be a bit too tired and grumpy. But yeah, <laughs> there's something that happens when I just like color my face, put on a colorful dress that just makes me be like, wow, I love being alive. So that's a big one for me. I absolutely love that answer. And it's something that no one else has ever said. And I've never even thought of, but you're so right. I put makeup on most days. And as a result of this conversation, I'm going to go tomorrow morning and put my makeup on and say, I love my eyes. Oh, dude, it's so great. It's incredible. Yeah, because if you think about it, you're like taking the brushes and you're putting all this love on your face. And you're just kind of... Yeah. yeah, I think some people think, oh, makeup is obscuring or hiding, but it can be used to just appreciate your beauty and to bring it out and, and play. That's what I think makeup should be used for, for playfulness, for self-expression. And when you do that, it's just, yeah, so uplifting. I love that. Self-love <laughs> through the fingertips. Yes, yes. So enjoy that ritual. I will. <laughs> I hope you do I will. It. I will do. I promise you I will. Love it. Ivana, I have thoroughly thoroughly enjoyed our conversation today. Oh, likewise. Thank you for really letting me have. talk about all the things I love. Thank you. Oh, it's my pleasure. <laughs> and um, I know that if people want to learn more about the things that you do, um, I'm sure they can look you up on Instagram. Mm -hmm. Is there any other way that, that people can learn more about you? Um, Instagram is the best one. That's where I post most often. It's just Ivana Lynch. So follow me on Instagram. <laughs> and yeah. also... If you can get your hands on a copy of her book, I thoroughly recommend it. It's been a real journey to read and really hugely insightful and uh, beautifully written. Thank you. Thanks, Gemma. That means a lot. Thank you. Thank you so much and have a wonderful rest of you your day. You too. Thanks for having me on. <laughs> wow. Thank you so much for joining me today for that chat. I really hope that you enjoyed it as much as I did. I found Ivana just the most lovely, honest and beautiful soul and it was really an honour to spend this time with her and uh, an honour to be able to share her with you guys. I hope that you enjoyed it. Join me again next week for our next episode where we'll be talking to another great guest about how to fit wellness into your day. And also remember that you can find all the episodes of the Wellness Edit on your favourite podcast platform via the Holland About website as well, hollandabout.com. And now we have series one and series two, and now this is series three that you can get stuck into. So I look forward to hearing your feedback and to have you join us for this fantastic series. All views are those of our guests and not Holland and Barrett, unless explicitly stated otherwise. Any reference to brands and or products should not be considered as an endorsement.